Journey with us below the ocean's surface to a place of darkness and eternal silence, where man cannot go without his protective technology. A vast alien place in which countless secrets are hidden, countless mysteries unsolved. It was in this aquatic other world that Mark Harris was born. Stan Lee presents Man from Atlantis. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 59, Man from Atlantis, issue number four, The Killer Spores. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Comic Book Time Machine presenting Marvel's Cosmic Comics. And in this episode, I am talking about uh, Marvel Cosmic Comic. And this one intended to be under the sea, but it goes cosmic on us as we are taking a look at the uh, Killer Spores from issue number four, May cover date 1978, release date or street date. Uh, February 14th, 1978. Now, when this was published, the show was actually on hiatus. It had uh, the first half of the season had aired up through December 13th, and it wasn't going to come back until uh, April, April 18th, I think is the next episode that would air on TV. And it wouldn't last much longer than that before it was canceled. Even though they had a full season order, they only got through uh, 13 episodes. So since the last time, though, I've, I've got some news. I actually have Man from Atlantis news. Yeah. Yeah, wrap your head around that one. At least it's not human fly news. Although, actually, recently there was some human fly news. When I say recently, I mean like two, three years ago. Someone had the license to publish new human fly comics, and they were actually going around to conventions with a guy dressed up as the human fly, although it wasn't actually the human fly. And I don't know whatever happened with that. I think they published one, one issue, and and that was it. But the uh, the news I have about Man from Atlantis is much more timely and also um, much more impressive than <laughs> some people who didn't have anything to do with the human fly, so far as I can tell, publishing a book that has the human fly in it. No, this is uh, in June of this. This coming year, 2016, uh, we're still in 2015 as, I'm, as of this recording, uh, Patrick Duffy, who portrayed Mark Harris, man from Atlantis, on the screen, is coming out with a novel. And the title of the novel is Man from Atlantis. I don't think I've mentioned this before, but, well, if I have mentioned this before, I don't remember mentioning it, so I'm just saying it now. I, I've ordered the book. I pre-ordered it. It'll come out June 21st, 2016. And I don't know if this is the trilogy that he was planning and starting back in the early 2000s, but he is uh, publishing this this book. I think he's doing it on his own. Um, actually, I, if I'm looking at Amazon right here, 
It's being published by Permuted Platinum. Permuted Platinum. What is that? Permuted Platinum. Seems like a lot of horror and and that kind of uh, zombie stuff. Uh, but look, oh, they also some sort of deal with Simon and Schuster. Okay, well, I don't know. Anyway, I'm getting the book. So I, I did say I I had some news, and obviously the the book news is is news. Uh, and I'm I'm interested to see what he does with that. He says that he can tell a story that's bigger than anything the television series could do, and that's that's true. There's truth to that statement. We'll see what he does. Uh, I do know that when uh, I read an interview about a book he was writing years and years ago, and with that he uh, he said that he wanted to also explore the origin story because you know Man from Atlantis is basically like a born identity kind of thing. Uh, Man from Atlantis washes up on the shore. He has no memory. Uh, it also reminds me of Thirteen. Uh, comic series that was from from Europe that I actually worked on uh, the the American adaptation. So you know we have the whole amnesia thing though, and and he wanted to explore what is the character's origins. I'm I'm interested in finding out. Uh, I said news though, as if there was more than one news item, and I guess the other news item is that I did I went ahead and got the DVDs. I did it. I, I was a Christmas present to myself. Uh, and also a celebration of finishing uh, a script for one of my publishers. And I went ahead. I got both the television movies that has the four television movies on it that were 90 minutes each, two hours when they were on TV, but they're you know, about 90 or so minutes each. And then the the uh, television series, the complete 13 episodes. And I've just started in on the television series. And I can say this right now. Uh, I probably will will agree with myself when I get to the end of the television series, but really the only thing you need to get if you really want to experience Man from Atlantis and what was kind of good about it uh, and kind of not good about it and kind of cheesy, you know, just all that kind of stuff. If you want to really experience it, get the get the TV movies one. You'll get the origin episode and you'll get some uh, cheesy 70s low budget sci-fi storytelling. Uh, this television series, when it started... Uh, they changed some things and they changed out like how things worked on the, the submarine. Uh, it became more of a Star Trek kind of thing. Now, my understanding is that the idea for the show was meant to be even in the beginning, uh, kind of a Star Trek kind of thing, Star Trek underwater, where they're exploring and they're finding things and they're, you know, you're getting these metaphorical stories about the human, uh, the human experience. But they actually gave them uniforms and, and and it was you know these are civilians who are kind of running the submarine, but uh, civilian scientists, and, and now they're wearing these kind of pseudo Star Trek uniforms. And I'm I'm not a big fan of of that change. Uh, but I haven't seen too many of the the actual episodes from that. I have watched all four of the television movies though, and I really I, I enjoyed them for what they were, and I enjoyed the the kitschiness, but I also enjoyed the the attempt at you know storytelling that was going to say something, and the other thing I enjoyed was was the character of Schubert, and Schubert, who was in the second issue, I think it was of of Man from Atlantis, uh, he was one of those first first villains there, and he the the issue that he the issues that he was in, I guess actually it might have even been last issue it was kind of the two issue thing, so yeah, issue two and three. 
uh, I mentioned the Bond feel to things where you had the Bond base and you had the Bond villain and that kind of thing. And that, that Schubert was this kind of big, fat Bond villain. In Man from Atlantis, the TV show, he is awesome. He's played by Victor Buono. I'm not sure how you say his last name. It's B-U-O-N-O, who is a character actor that I I kind of recognize from things, but I don't know if I've actually remember. I, I can't remember anything he's been in. I, I've read that he was in Batman. Um, actually, let's see. Yeah, he played King Tut on Batman. He was in Wild Wild West. He was Count Manzeppi. Again, I cannot tell you anything about those two characters. I don't remember them. King Tut... I have vague, vague, vague memories of, but he, he's, he's Schubert in, in man from Atlantis and he plays Schubert. It's so offbeat. It's just that episode of the show that he first appeared and he's in episodes of the, the series, but he was in the, one of those two hour movies and he just ambles along. He puts his hands in his pockets. He speaks slowly. He's not quite a Southern gentleman, but he is kind of a, a gentleman. And he's just, well, you, you discovered my plan. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to not allow this to be stopped. And so I'm going to put you into something that's going to hold you in place until I melt the polar caps or whatever. I mean, he's just very low key, very, very quiet. Uh, understated. He doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't chew any of the scenery. Um, he doesn't even gum the scenery. But he's just enjoyable to watch. And I'm hoping that some of these episodes, the ones I've seen in the actual series when they started doing hour-long episodes, it's similar, but it's not quite as. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it's just not quite as natural. It's almost as if they're trying to figure out how do we do what we did before and it's someone who doesn't quite understand what they did before trying to mimic it or something. I don't know. But anyway, I I like him a lot and he's not at all what I expected. Uh, And that that kind of – that gave a lot of life to the episode even though he's kind of playing the character in a lifeless way. But definitely the the two hour movies are the, are the ones to watch uh, until I get to the end of those thirteen episodes from the, the actual season when they we gather order. Um, then I'll, I'll let anyone know. Not that I think anyone's really chomping at the bit to find out from me. Ooh, should I buy Man from Atlantis the DVDs? But if you like seventies sci fi, if you like any of that kind of uh, era of television, I think you'll enjoy the, the Man from Atlantis series. Uh, the reason I got them was they were on sale also. And so I was, I had that extra money from that script and I'm just thinking to myself, should I, should I? And I did. So speaking of those two hour movies, that brings us to this, the subject of this episode, which is, uh, the killer spores, which was adapted from an episode of the show uh, to one of those two hour episodes called the killer spores. Now the killer spores episode was written by John D.F. Black. Does that name ring any bells for you? Well, it didn't for me, uh, but when I did click on his credits list, then it started bringing... It, it, that rang bells right there. Uh, he wrote for Murder, She Wrote. I don't know what what episode, but uh, he wrote for Star Trek The Next Generation and Star Trek. He wrote uh, The Naked Time for the original series, and then he wrote The Naked Now 
for The Next Generation. He also wrote Justice, which, if I remember correctly, is a terrible episode. I believe that's the one with the Pleasure Planet, where Wesley Crusher breaks a planter while playing Space Frisbee, something like that. And then he gets put on trial, uh, and it's capital punishment for his crime, because any crime is capital punishment, and then this whole prime directive thing. I may be way, way off with my memory of what that episode is, but uh, yeah, this guy wrote that episode. He also wrote for the Street to San Francisco. Uh, he worked on the Wonder Woman television movie from 1974. He wrote for Hawaii Five-0, all these things, Mission Impossible. And he wasn't credited at all in this comic. <laughs> so he just... Um, they just say it's freely adapted from the TV show. Now, the credits for this issue are as follows. Bill Mantlo, writer. Frank Robbins, penciler. Frank Springer, inker. Irv W. I think it's Watanabe. I can't remember now. Letterer. Uh, Jay Cohen, colorist. And Archie Goodwin, editor. And so I'm going to give a little bit of a, a blow by blow for the the actual issue and then talk about what they cut out because this is 17 pages. Yes. A two hour TV movie told in 17 pages. This might be the most crunched in adaptation that we've talked about. Although the deep, well, you know, when, when you're talking about minute versus page, this might have the lowest ratio. Anyway, the story is pretty simple. Uh, Mark encounters spores on a fallen satellite that is landed underwater. It uh, The satellite fell because it picked up an extra six ounces or something like that of weight. And the computers couldn't handle that kind of a change in weight. These spores, uh, he, he can see them. They are alive, but only Mark can see them with his special eyes, his underwater eyes. And they communicate with him. And he tries to convince the others we need to help these spores and they, the spores help him figure out a way to let everyone see them. And they say, yes, we will help. We must help, but we can't help because we don't know what to do. If the only way we can help them is to get them into space, how can we get them into space? So the spores think that they have been betrayed. They were told that they would be helped. And then they were told uh, they could tell that, that the people were saying, no, we can't help them. So they take control of Mark. He runs off, gets in a car, drives away, he doesn't know how to drive a car, but the spores are able to read how to drive a car from the memories of other people. And he gets followed by the chips, the California Highway Patrolman on motorcycles and ends up getting run off the road and hurt. He lands in the sands of the desert and then a helicopter comes, picks him up and they fly him over the water. He jumps into the water because he's going to help those spores no matter what, because even though they tried to take control, you know, they were just doing it out of self-preservation. So he dives into the ocean. He swims and they say, look, we'll help you. And so he gets on the uh, cretation or cetacean, cretation, the cetacean, which, by the way, sidebar here, the cetacean, their submarine, which has these like it's it's kind of iconic look to it, it has these uh, four spheroid type things underneath the submarine top and it's meant for scientific purposes and stuff like that. You wouldn't know this from any of the following episodes, but the episode with Schubert, that's his submarine. Uh, 
He is using that to bring scientists down to his utopia underwater, and they use it then to escape. And then after that point, the good guys are using this submarine as if it's their own. They totally have stolen it from Schubert and are just using it as if it's their own. And you just, in the episodes that I've seen, they don't even make a mention of it when Schubert is going up against them. He doesn't say anything like, ah, my submarine, I recognize it. Not one mention of where that submarine came from, but they stole it from Schubert. I find that really, really funny. Maybe more funny than it actually is, but it still made me chuckle a little bit when I realized what was going on. Anyway, uh, they somehow have a rocket in there. And so they take the satellite that they were supposed to return to NASA. They put it at the tip of the rocket. They put the spores back on the satellite and then launch the rocket from under the sea out into space to get those spores back to where they came from. That's the story in the comic. And it's very, very, very close to the story in the TV movie. Now, in the TV movie, I thought they were ripping off Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I was positive they were ripping off Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Not the original, the 70s version. Impossible, though. That episode aired May 17th, 1977. Body Snatchers was December 1978. I was shocked because of the similarities of these spores out in space. Coming down, they're able to take over people. When they do take over people, they get kind of this blue-green pallor to their face. And uh, I was just thinking, you know, the, you had these extras who come in for, you know, episodes in a row thinking they're just going to have like a background part, you know, sitting on the submarine acting like Lieutenant Uhura saying, uh, hailing frequencies open or, you know, the president wants to speak to you, you know, that kind of thing. But they actually got them in the makeup because they were taken over. And there's a whole lot of filler in some of these, well, especially this episode here, where they're taking over random people and they're making them do weird things. And But I was sure it was Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's not. It is not ripping that off. Uh, but anyway, some of the other things they took out is they cut out a bunch of bureaucratic shenanigans. There was all this stuff about how NASA wanted their satellite back because it cost so much money and it would cost so much money to launch a rocket if, if they were going to try to take the spores back up. And they're trying to keep NASA from getting the satellite so that NASA doesn't know about the spores and the spores are sentient life. And uh, then the, the spores take over people who are in key positions to keep the satellite from NASA. And there's uh, possession shenanigans that's happening all over the place in that episode. And then there's this desert shenanigans that, oh, my goodness, Mark steals the car. And there's some pretty decent stunt work, actually, with the car. And he goes off the road and crashes, but then he just runs into the desert. The spores just make him run into the desert, which doesn't make any sense. Uh, but they, he runs and runs and runs until he can't run anymore because he has to be in water every certain, uh, there's a certain period of time where if he's not in water, he starts suffocating and dying. And it's basically, there's a 24 hour period. He'll die if he goes longer than that 24 hour period, or it might be even be shorter than that. But he starts getting unconscious and getting sick after like four hours. And in the desert, it's even worse. And so then he's running in the desert and then he's got, um, his scientist friends who are chasing him in the desert and they finally find him and they realize he needs water. So they run back and get water and then run the water back to him and they come over the dune to give him the water and 
<laughs> this is Elizabeth, uh, his friend. She spills the water. And I just, I was watching this with my kids and I just started laughing because it's just, you know, one of those, uh, I, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, storytelling when, you know, you, you have a good thing happen. They found Mark and they're bringing water to him. But then what's the worst thing that can happen after the good thing happens? So you, after they conquer each little hill, there's another hill beyond that uh, as far as the storytelling goes. And, and then a helicopter comes at the last minute and they take him up in the helicopter and he says, uh, and so she tells the helicopter pilot, you know, find a pool, find a pool. And they come over a pool and then she just pushes the uh, the bed thing that they had him in, in the helicopter. She just pushes it into the pool and and then jumps in after him. And again, practical stunt effects. And it was good. It was, I told the kids, I mean, that that's real. They just had someone jump off a helicopter into a pool and, uh, it, it was, it was neat, but it was totally unneeded and just didn't make any sense at all to have this happening. Like, why are they running him through the desert when they know he's going to die and he's really the only thing that can help them. And then you have this thing where he's running to the, the a rocket that's going to go up. It's not the same satellite, but it's a different rocket. And he, he runs through the silo and it's just, uh, it was fun. Um, now I, <laughs> It's a special kind of fun, though, a uh, special kind of fun that's just about perfect for me to feel happy. I, I, we did it on a fish Friday. Whenever I fry fish for the family, uh, I, I always put on something, you know, that I can watch with the kids in the room. And, and this is what I chose for that. <laughs> it was I enjoyed myself as I was frying fish. And then my my kids thought that was kind of funny because I'm frying fish, but I'm watching this show about the the man from Atlantis. So anyway. <laughs> All of that, uh, this this issue, not bad. And actually, considering it was 17 pages, they cut the right stuff to make it work in that 17 pages instead of trying to squeeze in every single moment like some of the other adaptations when they're actually adapting movies from some sort of licensing deal with a movie company to give the movie in comic book form. I think this was just them saying, hey, let's find one of the episodes that we like. Let's do it as a comic. There's really not a lot of fanfare about it other than that little blurb on the splash page. It says, freely adapted in our mighty Marvel manner from the NBC TV series. And then on the letters page. And on the letters page, they they mention that. Uh, there's The letters page, this is the first one. So a lot of this is response to that first issue, which had a couple different stories in it. There's a lot of high praise. Um, there is one person who asks a question about if they will see... Uh, the Mark Mark Harris with any of the the Marvel characters, and they said we batted it around and no, at the moment we don't think Mark will be co-starring with any of our Marvel characters. What with Submariner, Atuma, Tiger Shark, at all running around, it would detract from his uniqueness, make him just another manfish. But who knows? If you clamor enough for it, we could change our minds. Which I I I like that. I like that. I like that Godzilla takes place in the Marvel Six One Six. A human fly, I don't care anymore. <laughs> There's going to have to be some super, super storytelling that comes up with human fly for me to start caring again. I'm glad Star Wars never was a part of the Marvel 616 universe. But the Conan stuff, that, that kind of makes things a little bit richer. War of the Worlds, it, they did an adaptation of that story, but then they kind of worked the War of the Worlds storyline into... Kill Raven, which is part of Marvel 616, one of the alternate futures, I think. I'm not sure exactly how that all worked out. 
But as much as, you know, a shared universe is cool and great and awesome, I also like seeing things that just exist in their own universe, you know? Like Man from Atlantis, let it exist in a place where he's the man from Atlantis. He's special. So I, I like that they said that. Uh, there was some complaints about some of the art, though, where he they make him too strong. One of the letter writers called him a pumping iron refugee, uh, referring to Pumping Iron, the, the documentary movie about weightlifters. And I think Arnold Schwarzenegger and Lou Ferrigno both were in that. So anyway, all things considered, I enjoy Man from Atlantis as a comic book. It made me go out and get the DVDs. It made me excited about a novel written by the author. And I, who knows? Maybe I'll try and get an interview with the author, who also is the actor who played Man from Atlantis. Uh, if there was an annual, because you know that's that was kind of my plan, is whenever there's an annual that comes up, it gets a special episode where I try and do something special. I don't know what that special thing would be. But I realized with Godzilla, there's nothing. There, there's no annual with Godzilla. Man from Atlantis, there is no annual of Man from Atlantis. I mean, I'm not sure how much longer this comic series is going to last, but I am pretty sure it's not much longer. Uh, although I do wonder, oh, I should look into that. I wonder if they had any inventory stories of Man from Atlantis that they turned around and turned into Submariner stories. Because I know they did that with a Tarzan comic that was an inventory story that they turned around and turned it into a Battlestar Galactica comic. We'll get to that. I don't want to give away too much, but it's very interesting to me how they did that. They did the same thing with Star Wars, with an, actually an issue that I really, really loved as a child. It was part of a three-issue run, and I had these the first two issues of that three-issue run uh, of that Star Wars were a two-parter, and I was so excited because I had the first part and the second part, the whole story. The, th the third issue in that run was part one of another story. What I didn't realize at the time was it actually was a John Carter inventory issue. And they switched out some of the features and the colors of the aliens. And Princess Leia was brought in as, you know, uh, she crash lands on this planet with these all these other aliens. And they added some stormtroopers here and there. But it was a John Carter thing. I wonder... If there's a Submariner comic out there somewhere that actually uh, they colored in Mark Harris's yellow trunks and made them green. I don't know. So now uh, some of you are thinking to yourself, I know more about Man from Atlantis than I ever wanted to know or ever intended to know. And that is fine by me if I am reading this for you and you don't need to read it now. But I'm also going to say right now that... Again, if you like this kind of thing, this is a this is a strong, solid, middle-of-the-road 70s superhero comic. And, yeah, I, I don't have much more to say than that. I mean, really, the only thing else that I have to say would be uh, just to thank you for listening and say, if you read Man from Atlantis and would like to talk to me about it, I would love to hear from you. But until next time when we are going to talk about uh, John Carter, Warlord of Mars. Thanks for listening, and Godspeed. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, 
What Ifs and Else Worlds, The Six Million Dollar Man, and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. Next, John Carter, Warlord of Mars, issue number 12, City of the Dead. <laughs> <laughs>